during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. In 2005, Dan Buettner, he conducted a study and identified five regions in our world today where people live longer than anywhere else. National Geographic carried the story. He found five regions where people regularly live longer and past 100 years of age. They were found in Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Icaria in Greece, and the Seventh-day Adventists living in Loma Linda, California. He found that the genetics of these people groups accounted for just 20% of their longevity. The rest was diet and lifestyle. Many years ago, God in His Word, we are told, He promised to give the Israelites abundant health. Notice what God says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, God says, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Autopsies have been conducted on mummies found in ancient from Egypt and they discovered that they were dying, the Egyptians were dying from diseases like diabetes, STDs and even heart disease. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does following God's health laws today still increase our vitality, prevent disease and even postpone our funerals? Does God tell us how we can be fit for the end of time? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Bible presents to you and I God's plan for abundant life and health. And science, believe it or not, it's only just catching up. In fact, in fact, archaeology, prophecy and science, especially as it relates to health, all confirm for us the truthfulness of God's word. In Eden, God gave to humanity all the health essentials that they would need for abundant life. Firstly, he knit their hearts together in loving relationships. Modern science has today shown us that stress, anger and bitterness not only ruin relationships, but they also affect our health. In fact, emotional stress is one of the greatest causes of coronary heart disease. God also gave Adam and Eve a wholesome living environment. He placed them in a beautiful garden and gave to them the ability to make choices. Health, by the way, isn't just a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. God gave to Adam and Eve also fresh air, sunshine and fresh water. If you want to be healthy, get out in the fresh air, drink lots of fresh, good water and enjoy soaking in the sunshine. It's good for you. Science is just catching up to God's health plan. And not only that, but God gave them exercise. We were made to move. In fact, 30 minutes of exercise a day will increase your lifespan. Many, the only exercise we get is just the exercise of our thumbs on our devices, but God created us to be active and to move in exercise. He gave Adam and Eve the weekly Sabbath to ensure that they got abundant and adequate rest. And in Eden, God also gave Adam and Eve the right diet. 
Adam wasn't running through Eden, jumping over bushes, trying to catch a cow, kill it so Eve could roast it for dinner. That's not how dinner time worked in the Garden of Eden. Besides that, there was no death in this world before sin. Nothing died. And Adam was given the charge to care for, not kill the animals. So what was the original diet that God gave to Adam and Eve in Eden to eat? Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 29. See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. The original diet that God gave to Adam and Eve was filled with fruits, nuts, grains, and seeds. This God-given diet was the most ideal diet for mankind. Low in fat, high in antioxidants, nutrients, vitamins, and minerals. The original diet was a plant-based diet, a vegetarian diet at that. In fact, it wasn't until after the flood that God gave them permission to eat meat also. Today, science is telling us that a diet of fruits and vegetables is really good because it's not only high in vitamins and minerals, but also the antioxidants that help prevent many of the malignancies that we deal with today. Toilet paper was never a COVID-19 cure. In fact, the WHO even said this, this is the World Health Organization, they said people who eat a well-balanced diet tend to be healthier with stronger immune systems. Why did God later give them the permission to eat meat also after the flood? Because the earth, including the vegetation on it, had been completely destroyed by water. And so God gave them the permission to consume meat also. In fact, compare with me the ages of mankind before and after the flood. Adam, the Bible tells us, he lived to 930 years of age. That's a long time. Seven generations from Adam, we come to a man named Methuselah, and he lived 969 years. Wow. Well, by the way, Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. His name was a prophecy because when he died, the flood came. But notice what happens seven generations after the flood. The Bible says that Nahor lived 140 years. That is a huge difference in lifespan. And so we can see that God gave them the permission to eat meat. It wasn't because this was the ideal diet for mankind. It actually shortened their lifespan. And sin was also destroying the vital force of man. When Noah entered into the ark, we also see that God instructed him to bring two kinds of animals into the ark. Notice what God said to him in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female. Two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So there were two types of animals that were brought into the ark. They were the clean and the unclean. And some people say, weren't the clean and the unclean things just for the, you know, thing for just Jews? Well, the Jewish nation came after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Noah predates Abraham. So God is the one who identifies and classifies these animals. What was the difference? Why did the unclean come in twos and the clean come in sevens? Well, the unclean animals 
were scavengers. They're God's garbage disposal system to clean the earth. Clean animals could be eaten and used for sacrifice, but Obviously, if you only bring two unclean animals onto the ark, a male and a female, and you eat one, well, that's the end of the species. So God never intended for them to be eaten. Conversely, clean animals were brought into the ark by sevens so that they could be eaten if needed. Unclean animals were never meant by God for food because they're scavengers. Notice with me Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 6. It says, And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that choose the cud among the animals. God says it's edible if it has a split hoof and it has to chew its cud. Now, an animal who chews its cud is an animal who chews the food, swallows it, and then spits it up into their mouths again to chew it again and then swallow it again. Animals that do this have a very complex digestive system and the toxins pass out of their bodies a lot more quickly. Animals that don't do this have a much more simple digestive system which absorbs the toxins into their flesh so that their toxicity is much higher in their bodies. They also, unclean animals, have a much higher fat content as well. Animals that the Bible would call clean include deer, sheep, cows. Why? Because they have a split hoof and they chew their cud. So if you choose to eat meat, then God says sheep, lamb, and beef would be considered clean meats or clean animals. But what are some of the unclean animals? Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 7. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, and the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Friends, if we do not follow God's counsel, and if we follow our own way over God's, we will suffer consequences health-wise that we could have prevented had we lived in harmony with God's health principles. Is the camel considered clean or unclean according to God? God's word says it's unclean. That means no more camel sandwiches. No more baked camel, fried camel, stewed camel. What about a rock hyrax? What's that? The rock hyrax is a small river rat with shiny skin. So we can't have any more stewed or boiled river rat either. That's what God's word is teaching us. Aren't you glad you're watching right now? Notice with me though, Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 8. God goes on. He also says, Also the swine is unclean for you, because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. Another name for swine is pig or pork. God says swine is unclean for you. If it's unhealthy for us in the Old Testament, it's still unhealthy for us in the New too. And science today is telling us that of all the meats that you can eat, pork is the highest, contains the highest fat content. High cholesterol diets predispose us to diseases like coronary heart disease as well. And those with high fat diets are more likely to develop cancer too. This is why God said to us, don't eat the swine because I want for you to have an abundant life and abundant health. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh, if pig meat was a good thing, God wouldn't be keeping it from us. Bacon is actually cured by nitrates that are known to be carcinogenic. That's a fancy word for cancer-causing. A doctor named Dr. McNaught, he even discovered that one out of every four pork specimens has living trichina larvae in it. These can hatch in the stomach if, it, if the meat is not cooked properly and invade the tissue. So high-cooked and even low-cooked pork can lead to trichinosis, which is a parasitic disease. Here's an article that was published in 1983. It's called The Adverse Influence of Pork Consumption on Health. And I'll read as much of it as I can. Listen to what it says. Consumption of freshly killed pork products causes acute responses, such as inflammations of the appendix and gallbladder, biliary colics, acute intestinal catarrh, gastrin nitrous... Anyway... There is a whole list of things here that I cannot read, but you don't want them. These are things that are stomach problems, gastrointestinal problems. All of these, the, the research is saying, result from the consumption of pork. These symptoms, the quote goes on, <laughs> when I can read it again, these symptoms can be observed after eating sausage meats, including salami, which contains pieces of bacon in the form of fat. End quote. Friends, God's way is always best. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to give you the most abundant health you can imagine. I like to say it's 10 out of 10 health because it's found in John chapter 10, verse 10. What about sea creatures? Deuteronomy goes on. Deuteronomy 14, verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. Do you know why crabs and lobsters have to be boiled alive before you eat them? Because the toxins in them will seep into their flesh otherwise. They're the cockroaches of the sea. Clams, crabs, prawns, they all digest the rubbish of the sea and filter the oceans for us. And so when God gives the instruction on what can be eaten, he says you may eat all that have fins and scales. Again, this wasn't an Old Testament regulation only. If it was bad for our bodies in the Old Testament, it, why would it suddenly be good for us in the New? The makeup of crabs and shrimps and lobsters hasn't changed. In fact, after fighter pilots were shot down in World War II, many of them got sick after eating the toxic things they found at sea. The U.S. government was so concerned, they approached a marine biologist, a man by the name of Bruce Halstead, and they asked him to complete a one-year project at sea and catalog all the things that they could and couldn't eat. And they gave him thousands of dollars and a crew, and so off he went. Afterwards, he came back and he published a book with pictures which said things like, you can eat this, don't eat this. Then Dr. Halstead told them this, because that book, by the way, was to be given to the pilots. He told them then this, there's one rule you've got to follow. If the pilot is shot down and the book gets wet or is lost, if the creature is in the sea and it does not have fins and scales, do not eat it. If it has fins and scales, you can eat it. Science confirms the truthfulness of God's word. 
If it has fins and scales, God says you can eat it. In fact, here are some of the diseases, I'll do my best to pronounce them, that are associated with consuming shellfish. They include hepatitis A, salmonella, collie, and there's others here that I cannot even read in my notes. But listen, according to the BBC, the British royal family doesn't even eat shellfish. It's not on the menu because of the high risk of food poisoning that it brings. Friends, as I said before, God's way, it is always best. And in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13, God even gives us counsel there on the birds we shouldn't eat. He says, don't eat birds of prey or scavengers there also. Well, some people say, when Jesus died on the cross, he made all meats clean for us. Friend, Jesus died on the cross to cleanse sinners, not pigs. His death didn't change pigs into healthy meat so that we could eat them. His death on the cross redeems us by his grace. Well, some people say, what about Peter's vision? Yeah, that's true. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. A sheep comes down from heaven and it's filled with all kinds of unclean animals, monkeys, crocodiles, maybe there's a kangaroo there too, rats. And God says to Peter in the vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Question, was the purpose of the vision to tell Peter that he should now eat rats, crocodiles, kangaroos, and all these unclean animals? Some say it is, but let's let Peter tell us. If you go to the Bible, you read it there for yourself, you find that right after this vision, there was a knock at the door, and there were two men outside from the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and they said, come to our master. And Peter was a part of a group at that time who considered people outside of his own community unclean. He considered they were looked on. If they weren't part of the Jewish community, they were looked on as being like rats and crocodiles. And he was looking at other ethnic groups with the eyes of prejudice. Peter had racial barriers that God had to get through. And that's why God gave him this vision. This is why Peter later said in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The Bible says that God made of one blood all the nations. Peter says in Acts 10 verses 34 and 35, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. There are no barriers in Christ. We are one race, the human race. That is the teaching of Scripture. Satan desires, though, to ruin our health and to lead us into bad lifestyle habits. But Jesus wants to build up our health. Why die of a disease that could be prevented longer by following God's health principles that he presents to us in his word? God has given us one body to care for, and how we care for it shows and reveals how we would care for it throughout eternity. 3 John 2. There's only one chapter. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The message of the Bible is a holistic message. Again, notice with me what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, 
That means I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. True worship is more than just singing songs or going to church. It's how you live. And God deserves our very best, doesn't he? Have you presented your body to God as a living sacrifice? Have you said, Lord, you redeemed my body on the cross. I give my body to you. I want to glorify you in the choices that I make. I don't want to put anything into my body that will destroy it. You see, in end times, God is calling for us to come away from practices that destroy us. According to Beckman Research Institute, cigarette smoking kills over one million people each year. In fact, research also shows that just every single, every single cigarette takes 14 minutes off your life. And God's law says, thou shalt not kill. Smoking is killing ourselves. Cigarette smoke has been shown to have about I was going to say 70, I don't have 70 fingers, so 70 cancer-causing substances in them. Smokers have a 25% higher chance of heart attack than non-smokers and is directly related to lung cancer. In fact, babies of smoking mothers are born much more prematurely and have much less possibility to live. Children who grow up in homes where there is smoking and they experience secondary smoke, they often suffer from more infections and colds. Friends, smoking affects our loved ones. If smoking is your struggle, you need to know right now now that Jesus can deliver you and give you victory over this. God is calling you today to put away from your life anything that would be harmful to your body. Quitters always win, and by the grace of God, you can win. That's what the Bible tells us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. One lady went to her local pastor and she told him, I love Jesus. I want to give my life to him, but I am really struggling with smoking and I just can't quit. Can you help me? And so he told her some strategies of how she could quit. And he showed her promises in God's word that she could claim and how God wanted to set her free from the bondage of tobacco. And he read to her a Bible verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It's beautiful. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She said, I don't think I can do it. The pastor said, but the Bible says it. She said, but I can't do it. I'm too weak. The pastor said to her, get a pen. She And he said, write next to that verse, except quit smoking. If you don't believe it, you better correct your Bible. Well, she got the point. She said, I'm not writing that in my Bible. And so, friends, we must not look at our weaknesses when we come to want to quit. We must look to Jesus and keep our eyes on his strength. Because that lady, after she realized that she shouldn't focus on her on her own weakness, but focus on the strength of Jesus, she destroyed her cigarettes, got rid of them, and God gave her the victory. Yes, go for walks and drink lots of water. That will help you too to flush it out of your system. But God is the one who gives us the strength to overcome. 
Don't just pray, Lord, I'm weak. I've been smoking for so long and I don't think I can do this. I'll probably just go back to it after I've given it up again. Pray like this and say, Jesus, I am weak, but I know that you are strong. Jesus, you can give me the strength to overcome. I may not feel like it, but I trust you to do for me what I cannot do. And I know that you will strengthen me to quit. Look to Jesus, because when you submit your body to him, he will deliver you. Jesus is stronger than any addiction that you might have. The Christ who opened the eyes of the blind, who opened the ears of the deaf, who made the lame to walk, Jesus is the one who says to us in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock and it will be open to you. If you want deliverance, ask, seek, knock. Surrender your life and your body to God and say, Lord, take my body. I give it to you. Help me. And God will. What about the battle with the bottle? Proverbs 20 verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The Bible says drinking deceives you because drinking immediately affects your brain. The Holy Spirit, he speaks to us in our brains. He speaks to us through our minds, which is not in our elbows. It's in our brains. That's why Shakespeare said, Oh God, that men should put an enemy to their mouths, in their mouths, to steal away their brains. Because alcohol affects the frontal lobe of the brain. This is the place for morality, reason, and judgment, where the Holy Spirit communicates with us. Listen to this quotation from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Sciences. It's on alcohol abuse and alcoholism. It says, and I quote, Difficulty walking Blurred vision, slurred speech, slowed reaction times, impaired memory, clearly alcohol affects the brain. Some of these impairments, they say, are detectable only after one or two drinks. We can't afford to have anything affect our frontal lobe because if we do, the devil will use it to take advantage of our mental lapses and lead us to do things that we would never have imagined of doing otherwise. I continue the quote. Exactly how alcohol affects the brain and the likelihood of reversing the impact of heavy drinking on the brain remain hot hot topics in alcohol research today. We do know that heavy drinking may have extensive and far-reaching effects on the brain, ranging from simple slips in memory to permanent and debilitating conditions that require lifetime custodial care. And even moderate drinking leads to short-term impairment, as shown by extensive research on the impact of drinking on driving. As Christians... We can't afford to have our brains clouded by alcohol. Satan wants to control our minds through our bodies because he knows they're connected. But God wants to help us control our bodies through the choices we make in our minds. You might say, well, I only drink a little bit. Did you know that in the U.S., federal regulations prohibit pilots from drinking alcohol for at least eight hours before flying? 
I mean, imagine boarding a plane and as you pass the pilot in the cockpit, he's drinking away and he's got two beers beside him. How would you feel? You look at him and he looks at you and he says, don't worry, I'm only drinking a little bit. No, none of us would get on a plane if that was happening. No one would do that. But friends, we are on a journey to heaven, not a flight from Sydney to San Francisco. We're on our way to the promised land and Satan is going to do everything he can to try and impair our minds and affect our journey home. We need to be thinking clearly. Well, did Jesus turn the water into wine? Let's notice what it says in John chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 concerning this miracle. It says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. The Bible tells us there were six pots, each one holding 30 gallons. That's altogether about 180 gallons. To put that in liters, we're talking about 680 liters of wine that Jesus made. Now, if there were just 200 people at that wedding and each one could have had maybe four liters of wine to themselves, what would that much wine do to each of those people that attended the wedding? Someone goes off with another man's wife and you ask, well, why did you do that? And they tell you, well, the wine Jesus made was so good. Or some kid says, I had my first wine back at the wedding that Jesus turned the water into wine at and that's why I'm a drunkard 20 years later. Friends, Jesus didn't make a whole village drunk. When the Bible talks about fermented wine, or alcoholic wine, there is actually two... <clears throat> Sorry. When the Bible talks about fermented wine, alcoholic, and pure fresh fresh grape juice, non-alcoholic, it actually uses the same word for both. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. New wine, according to the Bible, is grape juice. This is the type of wine that Jesus made pure and fresh at that wedding feast, which is why it says in John chapter 2, verse 10, you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus didn't create fermented wine. Wine, alcohol, it has so many health and social consequences. It has ripped apart families and marriages. It destroys brain cells. Friends, our only safety is to abstain from it. In fact, research has also shown that caffeine has harmful effects on our brains too. In fact, more than four cups of coffee a day has been linked to an early death because it speeds up the brain and nervous system, it raises blood pressure, inhibits collagen production in the skin so it ages you. It's a stimulant, a poison, and it's highly addictive. Friends, the best way to start your day is with Jesus and a good glass of water. Living in view of the end of time, Jesus says to you and to me, I want to save you completely, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We're not saved by diet. The Bible says clearly we are saved by grace. But if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, then our bodies belong to him. 
Revelation's end time message. It calls for God's last day people to glorify Him in their lifestyles with their bodies. Revelation 14 verse 7 says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. We are living right before the coming of Jesus. How can we glorify God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now is the time to give glory to God with the choices we make. Now is the time to live for Jesus. Jesus died for you. Will you live for Him? He has purchased you with His precious blood and today God is calling His end time people to glorify Him in every area of their lives, including our physical habits. Will you say with me right now, Lord Jesus, I've been struggling with this habit, be it smoking, drinking, some harmful addiction, some harmful practice that's immoral, whatever it may be, I've been struggling with this. I've tried to quit on my own and I can't. But today I want to give my body to you. And I want to ask you, Lord, to give me the victory because I believe that you can do it. If that is your desire, I invite you to pray that prayer. Friends, God has a health plan and God's plan works. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your health plan. Please give us the strength to follow Jesus and to make choices that will benefit our lives now so that we can be a blessing to others and enjoy the abundant health that Jesus offers to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.